If you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to open to Psalm chapter 51. And if you have your notes, maybe you've jotted down already a couple of notes, or maybe you've looked at them already, and you see that this morning the message is about repentance. Maybe uh, you're looking at that question that's at the bottom, uh, and you're thinking to yourself, hey, this is a little uh, like too invasive this morning. Maybe you're a guest today going, what are they talking about today? I want to tell you what we're talking about. One of the things that we work really hard to do uh, is to not just know about Jesus and not just learn about what Jesus taught. But here at the fellowship, we're pretty passionate about taking what Jesus commanded and learning how to do that in today's culture. Sometimes it can be uh, kind of simple. Sometimes it can be difficult. Sometimes it can be confusing. Sometimes you know, it can be incredibly confusing. Uh, but one of the things that Jesus said, and this is actually the first command that he gave in the Gospel of Mark, is the command to repent and to believe in the gospel. And one of the things that we've been wrestling with over the last couple of weeks is the realization that oftentimes when somebody hears the command, repent, we get on the defensive. Like, who are you to tell me to repent? So if you're here this morning looking at your note sheet going, oh, who's going to tell me to repent? Uh, I just want you to hear me say this morning, I'm not. The Lord is. And one of the things, if you weren't here already, one of the things that we discovered over the past couple of weeks, and I just want to share this with you to catch you up, is that the command to repent is a good command. It means that God is attentive to our lives. It means that God cares about our lives. It means that God has the wisdom to guide us and to instruct us. And it means that God has the courage to step into our lives when, quite frankly, other people won't. And God has no fear getting in my face and going, let me tell you something. The, the rest of the world may call you Pastor Zach, but you're Zach to me, man. And I'm telling you right now that you need to repent. God is a courageous God and has no problem calling us to repentance. That is good news. I know that sometimes it makes us feel uncomfortable. But the command to repent is both good and transformational. And that's why we're talking about it. If you're new to the things of church... If you don't study the scripture very often, I want you to know you're welcome here. And this may seem like something that's a little bizarre or uncomfortable, but here at the fellowship, we want to do more than learn what Jesus said. We want to learn how to do it. Like we want to apply it to our life. And so that's the journey that we're taking today. If you're looking at that question Today in my life, where is it clear that I need to repent? You may be thinking to yourself, I'm not against repentance. I just don't know how to do it. Uh, I want to share with you today how to repent. If you have your notes, you see that this morning the message uh, is entitled The Royal Recipe for Repentance. And here's why it's titled that. Uh, First, because we're going to be looking at a psalm. It's kind of a poem that a king wrote as he was seeking to repent. He had been caught in sin, and he was seeking to have his relationship to God restored. And, and so this is a royal psalm in the sense that a king wrote it. When it was written, it was written by a man who was the king of Israel. Now, one of the side notes to that is that that kind of means for us that nobody is exempt from needing to repent. Whether you're a king or just a common person like myself, 
whether you're rich or poor, whether you're old or in middle-aged or young, whatever your demographic is here this morning, if the king needed to repent at times, here's what I would say to you. You and I, we're not exempt from needing to repent. Remember, repent simply means to turn away from. It just means to be so convinced about something that it changes our actions. And so David is the king. He knew that he needed to repent because he had been caught by God in sin. And and so it's royal. It's a recipe because this morning, I want for us to think in terms of, as David sought to repent, what are the key things that make up his his psalm of repentance. In other words, if we were going to bake a cake called repentance, what would be the key ingredients, right? If we were to create a lunch that was entitled repentance, what would the key ingredients be? And so this morning, it's a royal recipe for repentance. You see in your notes that there's four of them. The first one is found in the first two verses. And so look with me, if you would, in Psalm chapter 51. We're going to walk through and work through most of this psalm this morning. But let's read the first two verses and then pause. And we'll look at this first key ingredient of the royal recipe for repentance. Psalm 51 verses 1 and 2 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. If your eyes right now are on the scriptures, look with me in verse 2. And I want you to see this. And if you're online with us, look with us in the scripture this morning and and walk along with us. Look in verse 2. The end of verse 2 has an exclamation point. That means that David is not whispering. That means David is not asking God questions. That means that David is kind of yelling this prayer. And I find comfort in that because there are times that I whisper prayers and there are times that I yell prayers to God. And this is a point in David's life where he's crying out to God. What is he crying out? Here's the first ingredient. Calling out for mercy. If you're asking this morning, what does it take to repent? What what happens if I realize that my life isn't exactly where God wants it and I'm hungry for it to be where God wants it? I want for it to be where God wants it. I'm willing to do what I need to do for it to get to where God wants it, but it's not. What do I have to do? The first part of that answer is call out for mercy. Now, you may look at this and go, wait a second, this guy's a king. Why is this guy who is a king calling out for mercy? Why doesn't he call out for other things? Like if I'm a king, maybe I will be calling out for more warriors. I don't know what kings pray for because I've never been one and probably will never be one. But in my mind, at least, I think one of the things that kings worry about is being attacked. And so maybe some of us would look at this and go, shouldn't the king be praying about protection? Oh, Lord, raise up more warriors for me. Are more chariots, are more horses, are more bows and arrows or whatever they were fighting wars with in that time. Or what about money? Oh, Lord, fill the treasury. I guess if you're a king, you worry about if your kingdom has enough money, or at least if you have enough money. 
Oh, Lord, fill up the treasury. So you may be looking at this going, why would a king be calling for mercy? Here's why. I want you to get this. When you are caught in sin, the greatest treasure and gift that you can receive is the gift of mercy from Almighty God. The answer to the question, why didn't he ask for more or something other than, is because that wasn't his greatest need in the moment. Did he need warriors? Probably. Did he need gold? Probably. But his greatest need when he learned that he had been caught in sin was the mercy of God. Now, one thing I want you to see before we move on. When when David calls for mercy, have mercy on me, O Lord. It's the first thing that he writes. When he calls out for mercy, he doesn't call out for mercy based on his merit, his ability, his intellect, his charisma. He doesn't say, O Lord, have mercy on me according to what I deserve. Lord, have mercy on me according to my intelligence. Or my ability to lead a nation. Lord, have mercy on me according to what I have earned from you. He says, Lord, have mercy according to your character. The mercy of God is available to you and I. Not because of how awesome we are. But because of the character of Almighty God. I want you to see that in the scripture. Look with me if you would. In verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. Why? According to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. This is fundamental, my friend. For those of you who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, you'll remember this and appreciate it. For those of you who are exploring what it means to become a follower of Christ, you'll understand this is foundational and fundamental. My call for mercy isn't based on my merit. It's based on the character of a generous, good, and merciful God. So what are the ingredients to the recipe of repentance? First, calling for mercy. Secondly, confessing my personal sin. I want to say this to you as clearly as I can say it to you. We cannot experience and walk through a season of repentance if we are not willing to stand before God and own our sin. And what we see in the scripture, verses 3 through 6, is that one of the things that marks the ingredients for repentance is that David just gets in the presence of God and he says, God, I'm going to level with you. I have no defense here. I have nothing to say before you. I have no good reason for the things that I have done. I have no defense for them. I have nothing to say to you other than whatever you say for me is good. I want you to see that in verses 3 through 6. So let's move beyond verses 1 and 2. So now we've looked at the call for mercy. Now let's look at verses 3 through 6. And we see that David was willing to own his sin. Verse 3. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. And against you and you only have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight. 
so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. That's where David is saying, God, whatever you say and whatever you choose to do with me is correct. I have no defense. My sin is before me. My transgression is before me. I make no defense. Whatever you say, God, is good. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And so this morning, one of the things that we're doing is we're thinking about repentance in the, ter- in, in the sense of a recipe, the royal recipe for repentance. And so we're looking at these numbered points in your uh, study guide this morning as key ingredients. But, you know, one of the things that you, that you do with ingredients sometimes is you substitute them out. Anybody in here ever been in the middle of a recipe and you need something and you don't have it, so you throw something else in there hoping that it's going to work out? Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. It depends on the ingredients, right? Uh, This morning, what I want to show to you is my little visual aid to help make this point. How many of you have ever had a recipe where you needed to put some sugar in your recipe? So you run to your cabinets and you grab the sugar. Except instead of grabbing the sugar, you grab something that looks like sugar. Now here's what I know. You can't tell the difference from where you are. It's only because I'm telling you this. If you were to put what's in my hands right now in your recipe for a cake and then call me over, I would be offended. Because that's not sugar. The reason that I share this with you is because when you look at your notes and you see that ingredient, own my sin, confess my personal sin, and you see that that's shared from verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, and we see that that's the ingredient that Psalm 51 calls for. Here's what I want you to see. There are times that we try to substitute. We grab the wrong thing and we throw it in there. And here's what I want to share with you. I gave it to you just as a sentence. So I'm going to give it to you as a sentence. And then I want to back up and I want to explain what I mean by using these substitutions in place of confessing my personal sin. This is how I would share it with you to start with. I will never repent while justifying, redefining, or comparing my sin to other people. If I use any three of those substitutes in the recipe for repentance, I will never come out on the other end with true and biblical repentance. Now, the reason that I think that's so important for us to talk about is because those are things that are commonly thrown into the recipe in place of getting before God and saying, God, I am guilty. I have sinned before you and I have no defense. You are just in whatever judgment you give me. 
All I can do is stand before you and say, I am guilty and I'm pleading for mercy. But instead of doing that, we go to justification, we go to redefining, and we go to comparing our sin to other people. Now, if you're making notes this morning, I want to ask you to write down two words, legal and popular. There are some of us in this room, and and there's been seasons of my life where I've done this. There are some of us in this room, and some people that we run with on a regular basis, people that we work with, people that we love, who will say to themselves, I don't need to repent because what I'm doing is legal. There are some of us who would say, I don't need to repent because what I'm doing, the world approves of. It either tolerates it, accepts it, celebrates it, or demands it even. So there are times where this idea of justifying my sin provides a substitute that is inadequate to get me to repentance Because instead of owning my sin, I go before God and say, God, you don't understand. You're just an old dude, man, because this stuff is legal now. And you have to understand that legal has nothing to do with it. There are literally thousands of things that are legal that is still sin. It doesn't matter if it's tolerated or accepted or celebrated or demanded. There's some things that are common in our world today, that are accepted, and it's still sinful. I'll give you a whole host of them this morning. Greed. Greed is so acceptable in our culture today. It's not illegal. It's not you can be greedy and not go to jail for that. And in some circles, greed is celebrated. But it's sinful. It's sinful. Hate. Did you know that it is not against the law to hate somebody? There are hate crimes that you can get arrested for. But did you know that it is perfectly legal to hate somebody because of the color of their skin? Because of where they grew up? Because of their faith or religion? Because they don't look like you or talk like you or smell like you or appreciate your values? There's a whole hundred reasons that it's legal To hate people. But it's a sin before God. It's wickedness. And it's evil. And there are even seasons of culture where we're encouraged to hate. You've got greed. You've got hate. Do you know that it is acceptable in today's culture and legal To have sexual activity before you get married. Still sinful. Just because it's legal doesn't mean that it doesn't carry with it the term sin. It's legal to have affairs on people. It's sinful. It's destructive. It brings chaos. What I'm trying to get you to see this morning, and I think that you understand the point that I'm making, is that oftentimes, instead of standing before God, saying, God... I'm guilty of sin. We stand before God and we seek to justify our actions because they're either legal or popular. Go back and look, if you would, in verses 3 through 6. I want to show you something insightful. I want you to see 
what David calls his behavior. Verse 3, transgression. Second line, sin. Verse 4, sin. Second line, evil. Five, iniquity. Second line, sin. Over and over and over, David is calling it exactly what it is. Sin, iniquity, and evil. And I'm not trying to pile on you this morning. I'm in the same boat as you are. We live with the temptation to justify or to redefine sin. There have been times where I've called it a mistake. I'm sorry, God, I made a mistake. Because I don't want to have to say the word sin to God. Have you ever done that before? You try to soften that blow, right? And you call it unwise instead of wicked. I'm sorry, Lord, I made a mistake and it was unwise. And the Lord is saying, Zach, do you mean you sinned in wickedness? Well, come on, God, do we have to say it like that? We try to redefine our words, right? We use words like mistake, exploration, lifestyle choice. We use all kinds of words to redefine the words that David used in verses 3 through 6. Sin, transgression, and wickedness. And and here's the, the point that I'm making. I want you to use the right ingredients for the recipe for repentance because it is only through repentance that our relationship with God is restored. The stakes are too high to sugarcoat this this morning. Comparing sin is the third one. And if I could use you for my confessional, this is probably the one I struggle with most. I'm reading the scripture and God convicts my heart of this or that or whatever it may be. And sometimes what can happen is we can think to ourselves, yeah, you know, this is not good. You know, I need the spirit to purge me of this. But instead of coming before God and owning our sin, we say, but Lord, you know, so-and-so. They're doing this like six times a week. Or they're struggling with this or they're that or whatever. One of the things that you notice in verses 3 through 6 is David never compares his sin to anybody else. He is just standing before Almighty God and he's not talking about his neighbor or the warriors who are in sin or these people who are in sin. Or He doesn't talk about any of that. He comes before God with no comparison and he says, I am guilty. We're going to move on just with this summary statement. There is no substitute for owning your sin before God. You cannot get to peace with God without coming before God Almighty and confessing your personal sin to God. Now this morning, if you know that's what you need and you've waited to do it, Because you may be thinking to yourself, I don't want to go talk to some pastor and tell him all the bad stuff I've done. Listen, cool. Because the Bible isn't teaching that you have to come talk to me. Through Jesus Christ, we have direct and immediate access to the King of kings and Lord of lords. You do not need me to get right with God. And so if that's what's holding you back, Be released from that fear. What you need to do is get with God. 
So we've looked at two ingredients so far in this recipe for, for repentance. And we've made a royal mess up here on the platform this morning. See if I can get this back in as slick as I got it out. And so then the third ingredient is craving restoration. This is what I find so intriguing about these next verses that we're going to look at, verses 7 through 12. King David is a king, but before he was a king, he was a warrior. This guy could fight, and he was afraid of no man. He could fight wild animals. He could fight the best of the best on the other side of the war line. And one of the things that you're about to see is you're about to see in verses 7 through 12 one of the most tender, vulnerable moments that a warrior could ever express. David has this craving and this longing and this thirst and this hunger for God to reach into his soul and change his life in just this beautiful and gloriously intimate way. Let's look at verses 7 through 12 and see the continuation of these ingredients, craving and longing for restoration. Verse 7 says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. This is such a tender, vulnerable position that David has with God. I mean, I want you to see these words. Purge me, he says. Wash me, he says. Let me hear joy and gladness. Hide your face from my sins. Look at verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I just think about this great warrior and king who has everything that he wants. He's got guidance counselors. He's got warriors. He's got protectors. He's got funding. He's got everything that he wants. You know what he wants? He wants God to reach inside of his heart and rearrange his heart so that his heart could rejoice in the presence of God again. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. What a longing for a guy who has it all, a warrior and a king. And his greatest plea is for the divine hand to reach inside of him and restore him and transform him and purge him and wash him and cleanse him and create something new in him and restore him. That is a beautiful longing that I think is important for us to consider as we think about what does it mean to travel the road of repentance? What are the ingredients of repentance? I think one of them is this longing to be right with God again. And the fourth is a commitment to serving the Lord. Before I show you that in the scripture, 
uh, if you were here two weeks ago, you'll remember that I was saying to you that repentance and belief go hand in hand. You know, it's kind of like your favorite combo, whatever it is, peanut butter and jelly or whatever, right? Uh, Repentance and belief go hand in hand because repentance means to be so convinced of something that it changes your actions to turn away. And belief is almost identical. It means to be so convinced of something that it changes your actions, except belief is a turning to something and repentance is a turning away from. What you're seeing in this psalm is this worked out in real life. David has gone before God and he said, I am guilty. Your judgment is right, whatever it is. But, oh God, I turn from this sin, and now you're watching with this fourth point. You're watching him turn to something. Look with me, if you would, in verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Here's what's happening. David is saying, God, if you will restore me in my repentance then I will be able to function in society again like you created me to do. Because when we're living in sin, we are not blessing the world around us. We are creating chaos. We are creating destruction. We're hurting people and we're breaking ourselves. And what he's saying is, restore me so that I can go back into the world and I can serve you and bless the world. Look at verse 13. Isn't it interesting That he says the result of restoration in verse 13 is so that he can teach transgressors their ways and help sinners return to them. There is a communal aspect to sin and repentance. And when we repent and run back to God and we are restored with God, we are then positioned in the world to make a difference for the kingdom of God. But if we are living in sin, we are still impacting and changing the world just chaotically and with brokenness. And so he's saying, restore me so that I can go back and engage the world in a powerful, meaningful way that will bless the people around me. And then the second thing that David commits to is worshiping the Lord. He goes on in verse 14, deliver me, O God, from blood guiltiness and my tongue. Look at verse 14, the last phrase, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Lord, if you will restore me, if you will receive me, if you will purge me, cleanse me, wash me. If you will make me new, I will bless the world around me and I will bless your name. The question for us this morning is when is the last time we have experienced these four ingredients? It's one thing to look at them in David's life. Oh, call for mercy? Good job, David. Craving to be restored? Good job, David. Confessing our personal sin? Good job, David. But the real question for us And I share it with you because I want you to grow in the Lord. And I want you to experience repentance as well if you need to. Is when is the last time we, you and myself, 
have experienced these four aspects of repentance. I close with this thought. I think that there's probably a a number of people who are either here or people that you're familiar with and that you love. Maybe you go to school with them, students. Maybe you work with them. There's probably a large contingency of people who are at the place in their life where they're thinking, you know, Christianity doesn't seem to be working for me. I think I might just should walk out of the faith. I don't feel good in God's presence anymore. I don't feel connected to God. I just feel like there's so much brokenness inside of me. And on and on and on. And so maybe Jesus isn't working for me. And maybe I just need to move on. May I suggest to you that perhaps if that's where you find yourself this morning, it isn't because Jesus doesn't have the power to change your life or bless you or to do something meaningful. It may be because you're in the same position that King David found himself. You feel broken inside. You feel alienated from the Lord. You feel all kinds of ways. And it isn't that Christianity isn't working for you. It's the exact opposite. It's working for you. And so you have this sense that something is dreadfully and divinely off. But instead of saying to yourself, maybe I should just abandon Christ. Maybe you should repent. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's not. I don't know. The great thing about me is that I'm not God. I don't have to know the things that God knows. But I can tell you this. If you're a person really struggling in your faith and you're thinking to yourself that my faith isn't working, could I just at least set before you the thought to explore this? Maybe there's repentance that needs to happen in your life. Maybe you need to cry out what David cried out. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, God. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Purge me, O God, of all of my sin and make me whole. Maybe that's where we need to be today. We need to come into the presence of God, crying out for his mercy, owning our sin, and fully, fully committed to serving the Lord on the other side of repentance. Would you bow with me this morning as we close? If this morning is the day that you need to repent from sin and put your faith in Christ today, that I want to say to you, it would be my honor to stay here after the services and talk with you about that. If you just have this sense that God is working in your life and there's something that you need to talk through or work through, let's do that together if you want. I'll help you. Father, as we close our time this morning, we feel the deep importance 
and the liberating nature of repentance. We, with one voice, uh, say to you that this isn't the easiest topic to preach and think about, but what a glorious truth that through the action of repentance, you have invited us to find your mercy. Lord, we thank you for King David. And although it wasn't immediate, we thank you for his heart to turn and to run back to you. Help us, O oh Lord, to call for mercy and nothing else. To own our sin before you with no substitutes. To crave restoration and to commit to you in service, O oh Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.